Hey guys, welcome to the Health Addict Show. Before we get started though, I wanna cover a couple things. This show is for entertainment purposes only, meaning I am not your doctor. So if you have questions or concerns about your own health, please ask a physician, okay? Get the right information for you. Otherwise, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. All right, everybody, welcome to the Health Addict Show. I'm your host, Tommy J, and I have another great episode for you today. We are going to talk about the air. The air is a great thing to talk about, something that we don't always consider when we think about medical, but air is something that is super important to us that we really need to understand because it's our oxygen delivery system. It's our main way of getting oxygen. So if we don't have a good quality air, we don't have good quality oxygen. And contrary to some people's beliefs, it's not just oxygen that's in our air. We have a lot of other gases that are in our air, including nitrogen, which actually makes about 79% of the air that we breathe. There's also carbon dioxide, which makes about 0.4%. And there's also helium and a few other noble and regular gases. And oxygen makes about 21%. It's 20.9. And this is where we get our oxygen source, the air that we breathe. So hilariously, when people go get their tires filled and they say, we got nitrogen gas for your tires. Well, guess what, folks? You already get nitrogen gas in your tires. You get about 79% nitrogen gas every time you fill up your tires. So what is that 20% really going to do for you? It's a funny concept, but hey, you know, it worked for them. They got a lot of people coming to get nitrogen filled tires. So 21%, as said before, it's kind of the percentage that we like to breathe in it. It's where we get our best benefits from. It's where we can consume amount enough oxygen, daily processes, make sure we do cellular respiration because we need it for how we do metabolism. But the question is, how low can it get before we actually get dangerous levels? Well, it isn't so much just the air. It's actually how much our oxygen levels are in our body. We like to be above 90%. Naturally, we're about 97% because the heart consumes a lot of oxygen before it delivers it to the rest of the body. So most people sit between 95 and 100%. You can be at 100% all the time, especially if you're hyper-breathing, you're hyperventilating. Um, you can also be lower if you're using too much oxygen and your body can't consume enough to help with itself, then eventually your oxygen levels drop. And below 90% is kind of that level where we're like, uh-oh, that's not good. We might have to give you some oxygen. This happens a lot with people with COPD, emphysema, chronic bronchitis, cystic fibrosis, unless you have restrictive lung diseases as well. This can happen, especially with lordosis, kyphosis, other spinal issues, um, other regressive lung diseases. Um, ARDS is another good one. Um, I mean, that could just consider it just a ramble off lung diseases and you get bored. But the point is, if you cannot consume enough oxygen by breathing, then eventually your body doesn't have enough and it starts losing its processes. And the first parts to go, of course, are your brain and your heart. And your heart says, I'll divert the blood to myself first before the brain. And of course, then we have other issues. So hypoxemia is a true issue that we don't like to see. Now, us as human beings are labeled as an aerobic 
organism, meaning we require oxygen in order to create our cellular function. There are other organisms that are anaerobic. They don't need oxygen to survive. There's a lot of bacteria, some viruses, but the point is we require oxygen. Now, our body does have some possible processes it will go through, like glycolysis. It breaks down sugars to create that ATP, the adenosine triphosphate, which is that energy molecule we need to promote our cellular function. It helps all of our muscles move. It's that important molecule that our mitochondria make. Now, the important thing is, though, your body can't continue to do anaerobic processes for too long. It needs aerobic processes. Eventually, you'll burn off all your sugar, and there's no way, and plus you build up a lot of lactic acid during this process. So your body cannot survive without oxygen. It could do a little bit for a little bit of time, but eventually it just cascades out. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, Tommy J, why don't we just give everyone oxygen? Just give it 100% oxygen and everybody be hyper-oxygenated. Your body can perform at peak performance all the time. There wouldn't be any issues. I mean, if you have enough oxygen, you won't ever run out of it, right? Well, this is true. You need oxygen to survive. And if you have abundance of it, your body stores a lot of it. And eventually your PO2, your pressure of arterial oxygen levels go up. The problem is, though, oxygen is very corrosive, especially O2 and O3. Now, the problem is, I mean, think of just metals themselves. They eventually rust because of the levels of oxygen in the air. They, that's how they react. Oxygen is very corrosive. So levels above what we necessarily need don't bind to anything, especially hemoglobin. We need hemoglobin to bind to oxygen to pull it into the blood. So if it's not binding to anything, it's just sitting there. And there's been studies that show that oxygen can be very corrosive to the lungs and have long-term effects at high levels if it's not being utilized well. This was a huge study, part of the ArsNet study, that was showing that oxygen levels too. If you have too much oxygen all the time, you eventually cause an aggressive amount of lung damage because of sitting there on high levels of oxygen all the time. So it's important to wean the oxygen off and utilize only the correct amount of oxygen. That's why they do the walk test when they're checking out people's oxygen levels when they walk, when they sleep, when they're sitting there. It's important to really regulate how much oxygen we give somebody because eventually if it's not being utilized, like I said, it causes corrosive damage to the lungs. All right, so let's talk about sea level here for a minute because a lot of people have some confusion of what is better for you. Is sitting at a higher altitude better for your oxygenation or is a lower level better for your oxygenation? Now remember, at higher altitudes, oxygen molecules are actually farther apart than at our less pressure at sea level. That means that fewer oxygen molecules are in the same volume of air that we actually breathe. So this actually helps us contribute to hypoxia. Fancy meaning that you get better oxygen delivery at sea level than you would at a higher altitude. So even though Mount Everest has a higher percentage of oxygen at its altitude, which is about 33%, it makes it harder to get oxygen actually into the bloodstream because the molecules are actually spread farther apart. And because the air is compressed by the weight of the entire atmosphere being pushed on it, one atmospheric pressure or 760 milligrams of mercury, it is actually compressed and pushes all that oxygen closer together and the molecules aren't spread as far apart. So, bringing it all together, try not to lose you guys, there might be more oxygen percentage in the air at higher altitudes, but because there's less air molecules in the air and less atmosphere, there's actually less oxygen molecules floating around, making it easier to get shorter breath and hypoxic up at higher altitudes. So, why is this super important in athletes and sports medicine? Because people that sit at higher altitudes have their bodies naturally adapt to the hypoxic effects of sitting at higher altitudes. Meaning, these athletes will go through something called erythropoiesis, which means they build more red blood cells to adapt because they need more iron-rich blood to absorb more oxygen 
per centimeter of air so that they can get higher levels of oxygen into the bloodstream to perform their normal daily processes. I know I'm losing some people, but hang in there. So meaning, when you have more red blood cells, you have more worker cells to capture all this oxygen that's readily available so it can be brought into the bloodstream. So why does this help an athlete though? So when an athlete exposes themselves to higher altitudes or lower barometric pressures in like a barometric tank, what they're essentially doing is trying to create more red blood cells. So when they're at normal sea level, like the rest of us, they actually have more oxygen carrying capacity than the regular person. This makes it incredibly easy to last longer, have more endurance to get CO2 out and get oxygen in. This is super incredible and it's very diverse training that many people attempt to try. Because let's face it, any advantage that a lot of these athletes can get, they're going to do it. They need it. They want the endurance against other players. Of course, this can be illegal in a lot of sport federations, but it's an advantage that a lot of people want because if you have more oxygen carrying capacity, you will outlast a lot of people over others. It's the same effect when people get blood actually donated to themselves. They'll actually pull blood out and then redonate it back later. An athlete will actually, and this gives them another chance to have oxygen carrying capacity. Which again is probably illegal for most athletes, but hey, if an athlete wants to try it that they want to try and do it and not get caught, they can try it, but I don't recommend it. But it does work. There's been proven studies to show if you donate blood at a later time during your training, you will have a higher oxygen carrying capacity. So lastly, let's talk about carbon monoxide. Why is carbon monoxide so dangerous to everyone? Carbon monoxide is super dangerous because why? It is 200 times greater affinity to binding to red blood cells. So when you start breathing carbon monoxide, it has such a strong affinity, meaning it wants to hold on as hard as it can. It holds on 200 times stronger than an oxygen molecule could. So once it's on there, it doesn't want to let go. So oxygen can't get on, carbon dioxide can't get on. It just doesn't want to let go of that hemoglobin. And eventually the person will die, especially if they're continuously exposed to carbon monoxide, because eventually it will lose its affinity, but not before the person will die from low oxygen levels. So question is, how do you get rid of carbon monoxide after you breathe it? I'm glad you asked. The easiest way is through hyperbaric treatment. If you increase the pressure of the hyperbaric chamber around a person, it causes the hemoglobin to burn its affinity up to two times, three times faster. And at this point, you want the person on 100% oxygen because you need that person getting every single oxygen molecule grabbed and put into their body. So once that person can get that affinity lost with the carbon monoxide and breathed off, they can eventually finally get some O2 on them. Because understand, without this type of treatment, it can last hours on somebody. And hours without oxygen and getting carbon dioxide out is not good for people. So folks, stay away from exhaust, especially if it's not in a good ventilated area. Terrible for you. I mean, terrible for you. And make sure you got carbon monoxide detectors everywhere. I mean, at least in your basements and around your furnace and other burning areas that need ventilation. Some other good, real helpful tips. Don't burn generators or other chemical burning heaters inside your house. This allows carbon monoxide to build up, especially people that burn charcoal for grills. Gotta stay away from the charcoal when you ignite that stuff, okay? Because it does release CO as one of its byproducts. Also make sure all gas appliances are vented properly and up to code. And finally, if you have a chimney, please get it cleaned at least once a year because if debris starts to build up, then that smoke has nowhere else to go outside your house but stay inside. 
All right, folks, last subject I want to talk about is the bends or decompression sickness, which I kind of talked about before on the podcast because but it's a good subject to talk about because it's kind of a good thing to understand, especially because it has to do with pressure. Because as we talk about pressure and how it affects how oxygen can get in the bloodstream, too much pressure can actually affect other chemicals getting into the bloodstream, especially inert gases like nitrogen. Now, the bends that we're talking about is normally associated with diving and low, low levels into the water and coming up very rapidly. And this is forcing nitrogen to shift quickly into the bloodstream and have no way of getting back out, causing incredible pain. Okay, don't do it. Come up slow. And I mean, obviously an emergency is emergency, but no, it's going to be a lengthy process to get that nitrogen out of your bloodstream. But this can also happen in other situations, like flying in an aircraft that is unpressurized at high altitudes and are less common. But people that fly spacecraft have a high chance of this because of the pressure differences. So as divers can be exposed to decompression sickness, high altitude flying, climbing, and other activities at higher altitudes can come to altitude sickness. So moral of the story is, do not quickly change elevations fastly. I mean, skydivers is a little bit different. They're not really exposed too long to high altitudes. And if not, they're in a compressed airplane for a moment or not. And it's not that high of an altitude to be exact. So the compression or altitude sickness is not the same as someone that spends hours and then rapidly shifts. Your body doesn't have time to adjust like it would if you're just quickly jumping from altitude to altitude. So moral of the story is do not change altitude super quickly in the moment. All right, folks, I think I rambled enough about air. I think you got a pretty good idea now about air and why it's important to us, why we got to know our oxygen and nitrogen, carbon dioxide levels, and understand why carbon monoxide is super dangerous to us as human beings. So thanks for tuning in. I appreciate you all who have listened to this podcast. If you'd like to go follow some of the other content that I have, I do put different content on the social media platforms, and you can learn more about medical and other health-related facts. Stay addicted to your health, and I will see you all next time.